You know, it's, um, when you've gone through a week like we have, um, those are not just words. But that's a, that's a truth that we must build our lives upon. This past week, had the wonderful privilege of being part of two dear families that um, paid our our respects to their husbands uh, for Velma Doncaster, who buried Don on Thursday, or had a service for him on Thursday, and then for the uh, wonderful Andrews family. Max and Marilyn, his very, very lovely wife and family. We had a service for them yesterday. Um, I was just, I'm just amazed at what God does in the heart of a family uh, at that time. For those of you that were here, you know what I'm saying is true. Um, Barry, Max's son, did such a, an amazing um, eulogy for his father. I, I sat over there and I'm, I, w- I was amazed how much Marilyn, he looks, Barry does, like Max. Did, is, that, is that pretty true? Is it, do you see the resemblance as much as I seem to see it? I can only, that, that seemed to me what Max looked like when he was a young man. And, um, it was just a beautiful, beautiful service, and uh, so respectful. And we just sang, you know, Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He, he washed that white as snow. It was just so real. This Thursday, when we had the service for, for Bob, um, four of our men from our church that were in different branches of the service and Shelley Bentley, who also is a veteran, um, they had the folding of the flag and they did it. Men in our service did it for, for Velma. It was absolutely beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. And one of our uh, fellows that played the bass uh, played taps in the other room and it was just a just a stirring service. And afterwards, Velma texts uh, text us and 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 made mention that um, there was a, a friend of hers who was at the service who buried her father just recently, but uh, didn't have closure. Didn't feel like it was. It didn't feel like it closed for them. And she, Velma texts me and said that. After our service, she went to Velma and said, I now feel closure for my father. She said, um, the service that you, you folks had here made me sense and see the hope that, that I have uh, for him. And you see, folks, that's what, that's what our faith is all about. That's why we come to church. That's why we gather together. You see, our hope is in our Lord. And he branches beyond denominations. He goes beyond religion. And he brings it into a very relationship-oriented faith. We're going to see that today, probably as clearly as we possibly can. 
We're going to go over the church at Smyrna only because we want to take a look at what made them so special. I'd love for us to be like them. The last thing I'd want from us, if you turn with me into the book of Revelation, the second chapter, is to be, as we saw a few weeks ago now, like the church at Ephesus. In verse 4 it said, Our Lord said to them, This I have against you. You have left, you have left your first love. And if there's anything I want to I want to preach to us as a body of believers is that we would never, ever, ever lose our first love of the Lord. Can you remember back to that day that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Can you remember the feeling that you had? Mine was 38 years ago yesterday, of all things. Uh, March the 12th, 1973, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And the feeling I had within me was beyond anything I had ever felt in my life up to that point. It was just an amazing love of Jesus Christ that he would give me everlasting life and that that was the truth. It was beyond anything I could comprehend about six months later, on September the 14th of 1973, I asked Kay to be my wife. I love her so much, it's hard to put into words. I loved her so much on that day. But over the years, these 38 years, I've grown to love her even more. And I think that's, that's true of my Lord. I love him more today than I did the day I accepted him. I, I hope I love him more tomorrow than I do today. I hope that he would never be able to look at me and say, You know, I have this against you, John. You left your first love of me. And so I want that to be ingrained within our heart. I want us to be a church like the church at Smyrna. You see, the church at Smyrna and the church at Philadelphia are two of the seven churches that God did not rebuke. And I want us to see exactly why he didn't rebuke them today, so that maybe, maybe, maybe we can become like that church. That we can be a church that will not leave our first love of Jesus Christ and his word and that we will remain faithful, even in the midst of trials. Friday morning, most of us were woken up and, and found out what happened in the, in the country of Japan. When I was young, uh, maybe you don't even know this, when I was playing baseball, I, I, I played a year of baseball in Japan. It was really an experience. I wasn't a believer. That's neither here nor there at this point. But what has happened in that, that country is devastating. It is, for some, they will never be able to probably bury out of what, they've, what they have um, encountered. Some of them are probably too old to ever make ends meet again. I believe that they will come out of it. But... 
But when you look at something like that and you see what happened and you see the devastation of this, what is it called, a, a tsunami after the earthquake? And then we're to be careful that there's a, that might happen here. It made me think in, in the 24th chapter of Matthew, you don't need to turn there, just listen, just listen. But if you would, turn to Revelation chapter 2. But in the 24th chapter, Jesus was talking to his disciples. and He was talking about the things that were going to happen in the future. And they asked him, tell us, tell us, Lord, when will these things happen? What's going to be the sign of your coming back at the end of this age? And Jesus said to them, look, don't let anyone mislead you. Many are going to come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. In other words, he is saying there are going to be a lot of religions. There's going to be a a lot of people that say, I'm the Messiah. I'm the way. I am the way. I am the way to God, which we will discuss today. Don't let them mislead you, he said. There will be many, he says, and you will hear of wars, he says. Rumors of wars, he said. Don't be frightened, he said. These things must take place. Nation is going to rise against nation. Kingdom will rise against kingdom. In various places there's going to be famine and earthquakes. He says it's only the start of birth pangs. Birth pangs, as all of us know, that have had children, especially ladies, uh, how the, the intensity of the pain just intensifies just before the birth. Two weeks ago, was it, in New Zealand? There was an earthquake, devastating earthquake. And they said on television that this earthquake in Japan was multitude times more intense, much more. And we're seeing the beginning of birth pangs. Not the beginning, we've seen it all along, but we're seeing that if this is not true, they're starting to intensify. Isn't it interesting that we are studying this great book of Revelation? And we're going to take a look at what does it look like just before our Lord comes back? What, what, what should we expect? But more than what should we expect, it I want to drive within your heart and my heart, our hearts. I want to drive within us the very essence of what ought we to be like. How should we live our lives? How can we be like the church at Smyrna? Let's look. Let's see what what made them so unique and special. Before I read, I I want to thank you for your... uh, acceptance of what is one of my best friends on earth, and that's Kenny Hutchison. I, I know he's unique, isn't he? He's something. I've known him now for uh, so long. And um, I want you to know, when he said he counted it a privilege that God would allow him to have cancer, and that he said that he knew it wasn't bad, because God causes all things for good to those who love him. They're called according to his purpose. 
Hutch really believes that. That's not just words from a preacher. That's a, that's, that's, that's a heartfelt message from a man who truly believes what he was saying. And he spoke of out of Esther how even though they were unfaithful, Esther, Mordecai, they were unfaithful. They should have been out of that country. And yet, in their unfaithfulness, God desired to, to be faithful to them and bless them. And Hutch said to us, how about you and, and us? How about those of us who are faithful? How much more does God want to bless us? Well, that's what, that's what this is about today. Unlike Ephesus, where, where our Lord says in verse 4, I, I have this against you. You left your first love. Smyrna's love for Jesus Christ never faltered. Rather, they loved him through the trials, the suffering, the persecutions that came their way, and still they remained faithful. And obviously, this is why God did not rebuke them. Listen. Listen to his message to them. And, and note in verse 8, it is Jesus Christ who is giving them this message. He says to the angel of the church at Smyrna, write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life. That's Jesus has says this. I know your tribulations. I know your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. He writes in verse 10, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not, shall not be hurt by the second death. That's a great promise. Father, your faithfulness, even in the midst of our unfaithfulness, is overwhelming. But Father, could we not strive to be a church like Smyrna? And God forbid that we would be like Ephesus, who would, for whatever reason they did it, they left their first love of you. May we never do that, Father. May we remind ourselves over and over and over again of that time that we've come to trust and believe in you and how much we were just so thankful and, and let that love of you grow just as our love for our wives and, and our husbands have grown over the years. And Lord, we want to thank you and we want to ask your care for those people in Japan who are going through difficulties, perhaps beyond their wildest dream. May, may someone, somehow, some, some way, come to them and, and share with them the wonders of Christ so that they might understand the message of what would it profit them if they were to gain this whole world and yet forfeit their soul. May we understand that message too, Father. And so bless us, please, as we study this, your word. And, and Father, move me far enough aside, Lord, that, that we will hear from your heart, not mine. 
Bless us, Father. Bless Marilyn. Watch over her. And Father, we all look forward to that day that we will see our loved ones again in heaven. In Jesus' precious name, Father, we, we thank you. Amen. Well, let me tell you something about Smyrna. Make no mistake about it. Through their faithfulness, they were hated. Let me show you why in a moment. But through that hatred, then came persecution. But through the persecution, it only incited them to love Jesus Christ more. How do, how do we know this? Well, look, look what our Lord says. When you read the Bible, just don't read through things and not really take a look. Jesus says in verse 8, this is me, I'm writing. I'm the first and the last. I'm the one who is dead, and I'm the one who has come to life again. And I know, he says, don't, don't pass over when he says, I know. I know of your tribulations, he says. I know of your poverty. But on the other hand, he says, you're rich. And I also know of the blasphemy that is coming against you by those who say they are Jews. Now, I want you to know, when it, when it says Jews in that fashion in the New Testament, it's not talking about the nation of Israel. It's talking about the religious leaders, the, the self-proclaimed religious leaders of that day. Those who said they knew God. He says, I I know the blasphemy that's coming to you from those people who say they are the religious leaders and are not, but are really a synagogue or followers of Satan. Well, first and foremost, let's not forget, as we said a couple of weeks ago out of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, Jesus said there is absolutely no creature, creature hidden from his sight. He says that all things are open and laid bare, to the eyes of Him with whom you and I have to do. So people, Jesus knows exactly what you and I are going through. He knows our tribulation. He knows our poverty. Although He would tell us, clearly we are rich. And He knows whatever blasphemy that is coming against us. Let's take a look at these terms. The term blasphemy by Jews who are the synagogue of Satan only affirms what I said to you a little while ago. It only affirms that these quote-unquote religious Jews, those self-proclaimed religious Jews, were just as much a part of Satan's followers as, as were the pagan idol worshipers in the city of Smyrna. Through John, Jesus Christ uses the strongest term possible, blasphemy. That was reserved normally for any hostility towards God. But in this case, blasphemy only indicates the intensity of the hatred that the people in Smyrna had against the believers. There are people that hate you and me, purely because we trust and believe in Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at these words. The word tribulation refers to pressure that comes upon a person from outside sources. For instance, let's say you're at a job. And let's say that your boss asks you to compromise your faith, compromise your integrity or your character or your morals. He wants you to lie, cheat and steal or manipulate others. And you say, no, I cannot do that. And you lose either your job or the promotion that, 
that you should have had, and it goes to someone else. Just because of your faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to know that Jesus sees that. He knows your faithfulness and what you're going through. Peter reminds us, I've asked you to remember these verses over and over again. It's in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. It says, humble, if I can remember it, anybody can. Humble yourself, now that I just bragged, I'm going to miss it. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you. He might, he might give you a reward at the proper time. The proper time is his timing for you, not yours. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you at the proper time. The next verse says, cast all your anxieties or all your cares upon him because, here's the good news, he cares for you. He loves you like a father would his child. Well, let's say you're not just someone on the job, but let's say you're a student. We have some young people here. Or let's say you're an adult. You refuse to go along with the crowd either whether it's drugs or sex, promiscuity, drinking, or whatever they've asked you to compromise of your faith, and you become mocked. And in, listen, in high school, that's why 180 is so invaluable to us as a church. These, these young people in 180 right now are, are hearing the truth of God's words, and they're, and they're kind of bonding together with one another to encourage one another, to strengthen one another. I I don't know of any greater pressure than the peer pressure in school. Or you become mocked or rejected because of your faith in Christ. That can happen to a young person just as well as it can to some of us who are older. Well, whether you be young or old, you see Jesus Christ sees what you are going through. And he shall reward you. Now, that might sound like, oh boy, name it and claim it. That might sound like, oh John, you know, he's trying to really rev us up so that we are faithful. And, and w- how does he know God will bless us? I know because God says he will. And he makes this promise to you and me. I want you to see it out of Matthew. This is really critical. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. I want you to read it with your own eyes. Hold your place here in Revelation 2. And in Matthew chapter 5, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes this wonderful statement of claim for those of us who trust and believe in Him. He says to us in verse 10 of Matthew 5, Blessed are those of you who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Don't miss that. We are persecuted because we are are, are doing it for the sake of our Lord, for the sake of righteousness. Because he says, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and even falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Don't miss that. We do the first because of the sake of righteousness, the second because of our faith in him. Then in verse 12, look at this most marvelous verse. Rejoice, it says. And be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. In the same way they persecuted the prophets, we're in really good company when that happens to us. 
So Jesus knows our tribulations. He knows the persecutions. He knows the trials that come from outside sources against us. But he also sees our poverty, although he would say we're really rich. Poverty, in this case, refers to one who is destitute. One who has nothing and is bankrupt. Yet Jesus says we're rich. Why are we rich? Well, listen to James 2.5. You, you can turn there if you wish, but I might go through it by the time you get there. Listen. It says, James says, Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich? Rich in what? He says, rich in faith. And notice this. Also, we are heirs. We are heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. Christian, one day, real soon, you and I are going to see how wealthy we really are. You know, I mean no disrespect from this for you, but I'll tell you what, I would trade places with Max and Bob right now. I'd love to see what they're seeing. I'd love to see the, the riches and the wealth that they have and the love that they have and the peace and the joy that they have in Christ Jesus. You see, any riches that you and I accumulate right now will pale in comparison to the eternal riches that we will have one day in heaven. Finally, in verse 9, Jesus sees those who are blasphemed by others. In this case, it's by the Jews, who he says are not really Jews. What he is talking about, they call themselves the religious leaders. They, they call themselves the ones who will take you to God, but they are not, he says. In reality, they are a synagogue or followers of Satan. Why does he say that? What is he trying to say? Well, the word blasphemy really means to slander another. They slandered Jesus Christ. And in return, he recuses them of being of their father, the devil. I want you to see one of the great places in, in the life of Jesus Christ as far as I am concerned, because it shows his strength of character and how he does not stutter when he approaches and talks with those who say they are the religious leaders of their day and yet choose not to come to the Father through him. Turn with me to John chapter 8. It is worth your time to find John chapter 8. Of course, it's to the left. And it's, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, and then the book of Acts, and then the book of Romans. So just go to your left, find John chapter 8. This is worth your time. It says in verse 42, Jesus Christ said to them, them meaning the religious leaders of their day who were persecuting him. He says, if, verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me. Yeah, think about that. If you truly are one who says God is your father, then he says you would fall in love with me. He says, because I come forth from God, I've not come on my own initiative. The Father has sent me. Then he asks them a rhetorical question. He asks them in verse 43, why do you not understand what I'm saying? And then he answers his own question. He says, it's because you cannot hear my word why can't they hear his word? Because he says in verse 44, 
You are of your father, the devil. You don't think that that made them (laughs) mad? I want you to know I would have loved to have been there. Just to see the anger on their faces. You, he says, you can't hear me because you're of your father, who you say is God, but in reality it's the devil. You are, he is saying here, as is said in, in Revelation 2.9, you are of a synagogue of Satan. You are followers of Satan. Your father, the devil. You want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him, he says. When he speaks a lie, he speaks it from his own nature because he is a liar. He is the father of lies. And so Jesus says the same here in, in Revelation 2.9 as he does in John 8.42-44. through 44. He is saying that the self-proclaimed religious leadership are really not a leadership of religion, but they are a synagogue or followers of Satan. You see, what Jesus does is he as he always does, and if you follow Scripture and read it closely enough, he separates people into two camps. Dr. J. Vernon McGee, I don't know where he got it, but he, he says it as succinctly and as beautifully as it can be said. He says you're either a saint or you ain't. You're either in the camp that follows Jesus Christ, therefore knows God, or you choose not to follow Jesus Christ, and therefore you do not know God. Without knowing it, you are a follower of Satan. You're in the synagogue of him. Jesus Christ made it crystal clear. He didn't stutter in John 14, 6 when he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And nobody, nobody comes to the Father but through me. It can't be any more clear. And so John eight forty four, as well as the book of Revelation 2, 9 Tell the people they're in two different camps. Let me tell you something else. Please hear this. I'm not talking against the Jews. This is not a place where I will ever be politically correct. I'm not speaking against Jews, nor am I speaking against Gentiles. I'm speaking against those who have chosen not to follow after Jesus Christ. And there are many so-called Christian churches today, Christians alive today, who are in the same boat. They've tried to build their life around doing good things. If I do enough good, maybe God will like me and I'll go to heaven. That's not the way it works. You come to believe in Jesus Christ first. You make Him your first love and then the other things you do only, only as a respect or out of, out of love for him, you, you honor him by serving him. But you don't serve him so that he'll love you. You love him so that he'll love you. And then you serve him because you'll just want to be obedient. There are many so-called churches and Christians today who are in the same boat of these people who are in the synagogue of Satan. They've not called upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sin. They're trying to work it out. And don't forget this. When we look at Revelation 2.9, the Jews, and rightfully so, felt that they were extremely close to God. After all, they were called God's chosen people. 
Yet to truly be God's chosen people today, one must come to God through His Son, Jesus Christ the Messiah. That is mentioned throughout the book of John. Listen to the classic words of Jesus Christ in John chapter 15, verse 23. Jesus says, If you hate me, you also hate the Father. How clear can He make it? Then back in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, we see two commands followed by a most marvelous promise. Blessing, if you would. The command is, don't fear. See that in verse 10. The other command is there, be faithful until the end. And then the promise comes. At the end of verse 10 says, You do not fear, and you be faithful until the end, and I'll give you the crown of life. Folks, that's, that's what we preached to Thursday and yesterday, Marilyn, for your dear husband, Max. The crown of life that he has because of his faith in Jesus Christ. Job, who was tested perhaps more than any of us will ever be tested, said, God has tested me, Job said. And he says, I will come forth as gold. You know why? Because he remained faithful. He said, what did Job say? Even though he might slay me, yet still I'll love him. Now this church in Smyrna speaks of great intense persecution, martyrdom to death. And Jesus says to them as he says to us, don't fear. You, re- you remain faithful to the end. Don't you dare leave your first love. Now I want to jump ahead. We, we're near the end. And so I, I want you on your own to, to read out of 1 Peter. It, make a note of it. Take a look at it later. The greatest promises. You, your blessings will be undefiled. They'll be protected in heaven by God's power for you and all of that. And and, and 1 Corinthians says, you will not be tempted beyond what you are able, but I want you and me to turn to Hebrews chapter 12 right now, please. And what I want you to see out of Hebrews chapter 12 is how, how in the world do you and I go through these difficulties? All of us are going to go through them. How? How can we make it through? There must be something that is is told to us out of the Word of God that that makes a promise that we can make it through. In Hebrews chapter 12. Now I've, I've said this way too much and I've gotten myself in too much trouble because I say it all the time, but these are some of my favorite verses in Scripture. I know that sounds, it sounds watered down now because I say it too often. But listen to these great verses. Listen to the writer of Hebrews who says to you and me, since, since you and I have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside all of our encumbrances. And I want to put the word especially, especially the sin which so easily entangles us. Rather, the writer says, let us run with endurance this race that is set before us. This life that you have, he says, put aside all the encumbrances, put aside the sin, and run with endurance this race that is set before you. How? He says in the second verse, fix your eyes on Jesus. 
He is the author and the perfecter of your faith, it says. Who for the joy was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. Now he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And verse 3 is marvelous. It says, consider him. Consider Jesus Christ, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. Fix your eyes on him, please. Consider him, please. So it says at the end of verse 3, so that you may not grow weary and what? Lose heart. So that you won't lose your first love of the Lord because of your circumstances. Don't look at your circumstances. He says, I know your tribulations. I know your poverty. I know those who blaspheme you. And I am there. I am faithful. Even if you are, as Hutch taught last week, faithless. He is faithful. And He will care for you. How do you make it through? How do you not fear? How do you hang in there until the end or until death? I'll tell you how. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. He's the author and the perfecter of your and my faith. Consider Him in whatever it is that you're going through so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. If there's one thing I want for us at this church is that we would be a people who will never, ever, ever Lose our first love of God. I believe with my heart of hearts that that's what's going to set us apart as a people, as a church. And so that God won't rebuke us, but we'll, we'll, we'll be happy and content with the way we've lived our lives as Christians, loving Him in the midst of difficulties and difficulties are, are coming to this earth. You can bet on it. The Bible predicts it. And so, Jesus tells the writer John to finish up by saying this. If you have an ear, hear what the Spirit is saying to your church, to the churches. Because the person who overcomes, and we've already talked about the overcomers, and if you've not, if you were not here for that message, I would really encourage you to, to listen to it, to go online and, and just listen to when we talked about what does it mean to be an overcomer. If you, if you can listen to that, it's out of 1 John chapter 5, 1 through 5, but especially verses 4 and 5. It talks about who is the one who has victory, who is the one who overcomes, but him who believes in Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Look, it, it is not about a denomination. It's not about how nice a person you are. Hutch taught us last week, even Mordecai and Esther, who were out of fellowship, who were unfaithful. God wanted to bless them. He'll bless you. What you need to be is a person who is deeply, magically, if you would, fallen in love with Jesus Christ more today than yesterday and by the grace of God more tomorrow than today how fix your eyes on him 
He's the author and the perfecter of your faith. Consider Him so that you won't grow weary, so that you will not lose heart. Father in heaven, pray for those people in Japan. It's, I can't even imagine, Lord. Many, many of them have lost absolutely everything that is, everything that is physical. But Father, if we here at this church were to lose everything as far as the world is concerned, we would have everything because of you. Because what is it, prophet, any and all of us, if we gain this whole world and yet forfeit our soul? And so, Lord, as Hutch said last week, if you so long to bless even those who are unfaithful, can we even imagine what you will do to those of us who remain faithful? Let us not lose our first love. Let us consider who you are, not grow weary, not lose heart. Let us fix our eyes on you each and every day. Now, Father, bless us wherever you might take us this wonderful day that you have given us. Bless us and take care of Marilyn, who is here. I can only imagine after 55 years of being married, now she has to live the remaining time with the wonderful hope that one day soon she will see and dance with her husband again. Bless her, please, as well as Velma, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Love you all more than life itself. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here, and I'll see you next week, Lord willing.